0: Good morning. Come on, give me some. Good morning. All right. I've been preaching in front of people in like a year and a half. This is great. Um, Well, good morning. My name is Jordan. I'm on staff here at the shore. If you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah chapter 40. But first, let me say happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there, all you father figures, all of you fathers who have lost, all of you who this is a, a difficult day for. We love you, we're thinking about you, we're praying for you, and uh, a small token of appreciation after the gathering just outside the door here, we got some dad's root beer, some dad's cookies, help yourself, enjoy. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, you can read between the lines if you want, but uh, some recent news lately, I'm going to be grabbing some. So that's all I'm going to say, that's all I'm going to say, it's not about me, it's not about me today, not about me. So let me tell you my favorite thing about Father's Day, and I realize I'm going to be in the strong minority here. My favorite thing about Father's Day is watching the US Open golf tournament. Huh? Huh? It's Snoozefest for some of you, I know. I love watching golf, and the reason I love watching the US Open specifically is because it's deemed golf's toughest test. It's the hardest tournament. The course is super long. The rough, the grass, I I don't know if if you know what I'm saying here. The rough off to the side is super long, so if you hit your ball in the rough, like you're screwed. I know you're thinking the only thing rough is watching golf, but uh, I love watching it because I'm an amateur golfer and I love seeing the best players in the world struggle and just get destroyed out there. I can watch them just duff a shot and be like, oh, that looks familiar. I've done that many times. And so I find that comforting. So along those lines, let me give you some some news that's going to sound like weird good news, but trust me, it is good news. In the scriptures, we know of a guy named the Apostle Paul. Okay, I'm sure you've heard of him if you've been in church at all. This guy, Paul, outside of Jesus, is probably the most powerful man of God to ever walk in our faith. Like this guy walked so closely with Jesus that he actually went and spoke to Jesus face-to-face in a place called the third heaven. I don't know, we don't know much about it. But this guy walked incredibly close with Jesus. He is a powerful man of God. But look what this powerful man of God says in Romans chapter seven. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anyone else? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Here's why we can find encouragement from this verse because a powerful, faithful man of God said it. And so if you've ever said anything like that, you shouldn't feel so alone in your struggle. Because surely you've said, oh, I know what God is asking of me. I know the commands he set before my life, but I just can't seem to live it out. I can't do it, and I don't know why. And so if the Apostle Paul can say that also, then we shouldn't feel so isolated in our struggle. I'll give you one more. I originally wrote down 13, but we don't have four hours, so one more example. King David, who has this remarkable story where he basically went from a forgotten, unthought-of child to slaying the great Goliath with a few stones becoming the king of Israel in the golden age of Israel's existence, and God himself calls David a man after my own heart. Ooh, what a title. A man after my own heart. But look what this man after God's own heart says in Psalm 40, and tell me if this sounds familiar to you. He says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And so here's how we can be encouraged by this text. Because if a man after God's own heart can say, evil has encompassed me beyond number, my iniquities, my sin, my struggle has overtaken me, my heart is failing me, if a man after God's own heart can say that then I don't feel so alone in my struggle, because I've said that. And so we have these powerful, faithful men of God who know the truth about who God is, yet they can't always walk in it. And so what do we do then when our minds know the knowledge? Maybe we know what is true about God, but our steps, our heart, isn't there yet. What do we do when, when life beats us down, when things are hard and we need our strength to be renewed? Well, in the scriptures, there's, there's a phrase that comes up a lot that we're going to focus on today. And I actually think when you're in this moment, it's, it's a really tough phrase. And it's that we wait on the Lord. And so let me read the text that this is all going to come out of today. Isaiah 40, 31. You may have heard this many times before. It says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so let me ask a question Who then is the Lord that we are called to wait upon? And that, that question's a whole sermon series alone, but I'm gonna do it in one sentence because that's not our main focus today. Um, if you read the whole chapter 40 of Isaiah, we're told in chapter 40 alone that the Lord we wait on is our creator, he is the conqueror, he is the controller, and he is the great comforter. And so what does it mean then to wait upon the Lord? Well, in short, it means a life Of obedience to God, a life of unwavering trust and communion with God. But the big question I have for us this morning, where we're heading, is how do we get the renewal of strength? Because as we just read, the promise is, as we wait upon the Lord, as we hope in the Lord, as we put our trust in the Lord, our strength will be renewed. And I don't think it's a reach for me to say that this verse is directly relevant to the many collective issues and struggles that we in this room and at home are all facing today. And if not today, then I have no doubt that everyone in here or watching has experienced a season where they felt like they were in a season of waiting, a season where they needed a renewal of strength. And spoiler alert, you're going to have more. And, and maybe this isn't where you are today. And if, if that's true, then you can tuck this one into your back pocket because it's coming. And when it's here, you have to ask the question: how is it possible for our strength to be renewed? Because Lord knows we're all gonna need it. And so, I want to respond to that question in three parts today. Three parts: we're gonna see number one, the problems we encounter, number two, the process we experience, and number three, the promise we enjoy. We're going to spend most of our time on the first two. The third one, I'm going to say it in one sentence and we'll be done, just so you know where we're going. All right, so number one, the problems we encounter. The problems are essentially this, that because of what we are by nature, Ephesians 2 tells us, we are sinners by nature. We so often fail to recognize the finite temporary limitations and capacity of our own existence. Okay, let me show you what I mean. Flip down, if you have your Bibles, to verse 7. And I'm going to hang out in Isaiah and the Old Testament a lot today. Lots of good stuff in here. Flip down to verse 7, and this is what we fail to recognize is actually true. Verse 7 of Isaiah 40 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people grass. So one of the things that hinders us from coming to terms with the fact that God will renew our strength when we wait upon him is a failure to accept the truth of verse 7, that we are as weak and as frail as the summer flowers. Additionally, and on top of that, we are therefore willing to put our trust in, to hope in things other than God that will topple and fall and fail us. We are not prepared to recognize the limitations of our own existence and capacities, and we are prepared to worship things other than God. Let me show you this. Go to verse 20 of Isaiah 40. It says, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. So this is really a sad picture of humanity, of us, who are looking for a skilled craftsman, looking to the things of this earth to provide for us an idol that we hope will not topple over. And we look to all sorts of things and people and relationships to be that for us all while at the same time we right now have a loving father who is unchangeable and immovable in his love for us. We need to actually go back further into Isaiah to get the root of this. In Isaiah chapter 28, it'll be on the screen. You don't need to flip there unless you want. But Isaiah 28, this is an expressed word for a specific point in history. And I will contend it's 100% relevant today. So the prophet Isaiah is speaking to Ephraim and he's sarcastically speaking to them here. He says, therefore... Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, coming out hot, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with death we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. So why then does our culture... North Shore 2021 not know the fullness and reality of the Lord and know that if we wait upon him, our strength will be renewed? Or maybe we do know that in theory. We know it in our minds, but why don't we live in light of that? The answer, Isaiah 2815 b we have made lies our refuge and in false gods In idols, we have taken shelter. And so, what Isaiah is saying to us this morning is that our strength is not being renewed because we aren't waiting on the Lord, but we're waiting and hoping in other things. And most of the time, that's ourselves. I think this will be helpful. Let me give you a short biblical list of two lies which confront us. Again, there's probably like 20, 30. I'm only going to give you two lies that will hinder us in such a way that we won't be able to experience the renewal of our strength. And when we embrace these lies, when we live in light of them, we really short-circuit and we're unable to discover and walk in the unlimited power and strength that God has on the table for us. So, lie number one we can work things out for ourselves. We'll take care of this on our own. We neither need you, God, nor do we need the church or your ambassadors. Waiting is taking too long. Like, we, we're in a culture where we can't wait for a web page to load for more than five seconds before we, nah, no, forget it. Waiting's taking too long. We'll do it ourselves. We'll be okay. We're not patient. I'll just go out. I'll I'll go make some more money. I'll go just strive for some more recognition. I'll get a few more social media followers. I'll get a better relationship. I'll be happy. I'll be renewed. Isaiah 2, verse 22 says, Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Okay, so how much breath do you have in your nostrils right now? Enough enough to breathe right now. I'm looking around. Everyone's still alive. Yes, the answer is yes. Okay, and you, had an, you were in control of your last breath also? Yeah. everyone looks good. Will you be in control of your next? I don't know. We don't really know. And so Isaiah is saying, why would you trust in man? I don't know if you watch, I know I'm talking about sports a lot, but I don't know if you watched the Euro soccer tournament last weekend. A guy on the Danish national team, these are elite professional athletes. This guy has no prior health history. In the middle of the game, passed out, stopped breathing. If it wasn't for the EMTs on site, he would have died. Why would we ever believe that a man who is but a breath in his nostrils can answer the problems we face and fulfill the unsatisfied desires we have and ultimately renew our strength? There's more to it. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So now God isn't just saying it's not a good idea to trust in man, but he's saying that there is a curse attached to trusting in man. And if you want to know what you actually look like when you're trusting in man and not in God, he tells us in verse 6. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land vacation spot anyone Are you following me here? Like God is saying, if you wait upon me, if you trust in me, if you hope in me, I will renew your strength. So why is it that you don't wait upon him or trust in him, but rather we trust ourselves and those around him? Scripture tells us it's because we've embraced lies and we've taken falsehoods as our shelter. Lie number one, We think we can work things out ourselves. Lie number two is is related in some respects. It's that riches, stuff, things solve the problems. It's this mindset that we don't need to wait upon the Lord to renew our strength because we can just go accumulate more and more and more and we'll be all set. Psalm 52 says, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Notice that the dependence factor is what's revealed. He had the opportunity to make God his refuge, but he chose not to. Instead, chose riches, and the psalmist says, that leads to destruction. And so we think we don't need to wait upon the Lord. I can just go out there and accumulate more, accumulate more stuff and riches and status, and I'll be happy. Even if I'm not actually stronger, maybe I can portray a version of myself where it looks like I'm strong. Combine that with lie number one where we think we can handle it ourselves and we'll be like, wait on the Lord? Come on, I got this. In Hosea chapter 10, God is speaking through the prophet to his people, telling them what they have done by not waiting upon him and instead choosing to do it themselves. He says, you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength. It's, it's really the law of cause and effect. Like if we see in Galatians, if you know what I'm talking about, where Paul says, whatever you sow, you also will reap. We live in a mindset that has planted wickedness, therefore we reap evil. That's what happens when we don't trust in God but trust in ourselves. Maybe you're like, whoa, I'm planting marigolds, bro. Is that something you plant? I'm planting marigolds. I'm not planting wickedness. Well, are you trusting in yourself, in stuff, instead of God? Are you hoping in the things of this world instead of God? then God's saying, you're planting wickedness, which in turn reaps evil. That's what happens when we depend on our own strength. The summary of all this is found in Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23, where God says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So we have wisdom, might, riches. Are those not the staples of our culture? You know, luckily we can go hang out with people again, go to barbecues, go to parties. You're talking with people. How do we validate our worth and existence? I would argue that for many, it's based largely on those three things. Where, where'd you go to school? What, what, what degree do you have? Where do you work? What do you do for your body? How do you even look like that? Are, are you the right shape? What do you do to make money? What have you accumulated? What have you spent it on? And what God says in response is don't boast. Don't hope in any of those things. Verse 24, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, when you look to yourselves and the things of this world for strength, you begin to do what Jesus says not to in Matthew 7, and you build your house on a shaky foundation that will not last that will not stand firm when the storms of life come. And that's really, that's the fundamental problem for a lot of us when it comes to the question of how do we renew our strength. In essence, it's that we don't believe we really need our strength renewed at all. And if that's where you are, then like, this is tough. Like, what am I even doing here, giving you this message about renewing your strength? It makes me wonder, like, what's the point of speaking out of this text if you have it all figured out? And so that's the problem we face when it comes to waiting upon the Lord. And that brings us to the process we experience And the process we experience is that, ultimately, our strength would be renewed. Now, the literal translation of that text is that our strength would be changed. So they that wait upon the Lord will change their strength. It'll change our strength from ourself, from riches, from relationships, and change it to God. It's the same way that you would change into a new outfit, that you might move on from something that is old, something that is weak, something that has failed you, and you'll embrace something new. But the key to it lies in the fact that we need to recognize our human frailty, our weakness. And when we can recognize our weakness, the process can kick in and begin to renew our strength. And so if you're following me here, if we cannot recognize our frailty and weakness, our strength will never be renewed. Let me use Paul, who we already talked about, as a New Testament illustration of what this process looks like. We were were in this text a few months ago in 2 Corinthians. Uh, It's really a paradoxical, backwards statement that Paul makes. He, He essentially says, leading into chapter 12, that if I must boast, I will boast in things that show my weakness. Like, what? When you could think about all the things you could boast about and be proud about... The things you are terrible at are the last things that you're going to choose, right? But in chapter 12, we begin to see why he feels this way as he explains this backwards way of thinking, at least backwards to culture, not to God. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, he being Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness. Now, if you have a physical Bible, if you have maybe on your phone, uh, if you write in your Bible, highlight, underline, star, my power is made perfect in weakness. Is that not the very opposite of what we're taught every single day? The inversion of what our culture is screaming to us at every angle. Power in weakness. The key to power is weakness. He goes on. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content or I delight with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. and maybe you came to church this morning and you saw, you know, the, the graphic we send out where, oh, the sermon's on the renewal of strength. I want to go in there and get a message that's going to pump me up, get my strength renewed, make me feel good and confident and tough and strong to take on the day. Well, that's exactly what you're getting, but I think maybe the journey and foundation of the message might not be what you are expecting because the only way we can discover the renewal of our strength is to acknowledge our helplessness before God. It's not a me effort. We need to realize that the process in which he brings us is a process where he might remove all of our supporting blocks that we're trusting in in order to show us how badly we need him. And so maybe you're like, oh, you know, Jordan already talked about sports twice. Might as well make it three times. Jordan used to play hockey. He's going to come in here and give us a, a great pregame speech and, and fire us up. He's going to maybe flip the pulpit over, give us some sports cliches to, to make us feel strong. Hey, let's, let's just go out there. Let's give 110%. Huh? It might be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Pain heals. Glory lasts forever. That's not, that's not what you're going to get because that's not sustainable. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a process. You want rest for your soul? You want strength? Jesus says, okay, let me tell you the process. Come to me recognizing that you're weak and heavy laden. Sure, church, I I love you more than you know, but in many cases, we are not set up to discover the reality and wonder of God's strength because we are serving ourselves a daily dose of self-reliance. if you have embraced self-help as your prescribed solution to your problems, if you've taken your confidence in lies and in false gods, then honestly, the message of the gospel, which says until you admit you are weak and in need of help, you will never be strong, that message is gonna sound like absolute trash to you. And I'm talking to the Christians in here right now, But if you are unable to confess that you are weak, then I have to wonder, do you truly understand the gospel? Because the essence of our faith isn't that I'm strong, I'm good, I have it all figured out, but rather it's that I'm not good. I'm in desperate need of a savior, which is why Jesus had to die That's why Galatians 3 says, if righteousness could be obtained by good works, by our own might, through our strength, then Christ died for nothing. The essence of our faith is confessing our need for for a savior and Jesus saying, I'm here for you. Come to me. I will give you strength. See, our culture is a picture of Goliath. Big, tough, armored with all the gear, weaponized, ready to handle it. The church is a picture of David. Small little guy, weak, a few pebbles, a sling, it's not the same message, right? And in this, in this David and Goliath encounter, you will find David's willingness to wait upon the Lord to renew his strength when he needs it most. Look what David says in Psalm 44. He says, For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Okay, so David talks a big game. He talks a big game. It's not my weapons, it's not my strength, but it's yours, God. He talks the talk, but how does he walk? Does he live that out? Let's see, 1 Samuel 17, and here's the guy who just said... I don't trust my weapons, well, at the very moment, is standing right in front of hand-to-hand combat to the death. If ever there was a time to trust in your weapons, isn't it then? And then Goliath looks at David and he says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. How do you think David's feeling right there? This little guy, a couple stones, standing in front of this giant armor, weapons. David's got to be thinking, oh, being fed to the birds of the air sounds like a real possibility right now. Maybe that's what we think when we have a Goliath in front of us. But that's not what David says. Verse 45. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. Goliath says, I got this. I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. David says, no, no, no. I trust in the Lord. He's with me. I'm going to feed you and your entire army to the birds of the air with the strength of God in me. And was it because David said, I got this. I'm a big, tough, strong guy. I can handle this on my own. No it was because he knew his absolute frailty dependence and weakness can i ask you sure have we understood this process do you realize that that process is the key to the entirety of our faith Do you understand that Jesus said, if anyone would become my disciple, would follow me, he must first deny himself. Not rely on himself, deny himself. And so, say what you will in public and around other people, but surely when you're laying in bed at night, when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you know deep down that you don't got this and you need help. Can we be honest with ourselves? You may portray a version of yourself that shows that you're tough and you got this. Can you at least be honest with yourself this morning and recognize that maybe you don't? And that's a beautiful place to be. So, I'm going to start to, to bring this home here. And uh, I'm even a little wary of being practical because I think being too practical kind of misses the point of it all. But maybe you're like me and you're like, well, just give me like X, Y, Z, and I'll go do it. And so it brings me back to the Apostle Paul at the beginning. Like, what do we do then? You know, maybe, maybe you know all of this I'm saying. Yes, wait on the Lord, he'll give me strength. What do we do? When we know that, our mind is there, but maybe our heart and our steps are not there. What do you do when you know what sin you're struggling with? You know what is right. You know the good you ought to do, but don't have the ability to do it. Well, it brings us back to Isaiah 40 and really the greatest step of faith we can take that really involves not much effort at all, and it's that we wait on the Lord. And if you think about that verse, this idea of waiting upon the Lord, it's not just applicable at the micro individual level for our issues and things we struggle with right now, but it's true on the macro level as well. Is it not the whole story of the Bible and our existence that right now we are waiting on the Lord to come back and renew our strength once and for all? And so while we're waiting for that day, we have these little daily battles that we're in, and our call in those is to wait on the Lord. And it's a verse that I think maybe we've over-romanticized beyond its actual meaning. It sounds like such a nice idea. It's great advice to give your friend who's struggling, but when we're actually waiting on the Lord, it's not always pleasant. It's hard. In fact, in one of the most sorrowful Psalms, Psalm 42, David is literally in an argument with himself He says, why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Just put your hope in God. He's frustrated with himself. He's saying, ah, you know that God's there. You know you just have to wait on him. Why are you downcast? You know what's true, just trust in him. Why can't you? There's this disjoint between his head and his heart, and it's driving him crazy, crazy which I can really relate to. We should really praise God for the wrestle of these men and women in scriptures that make us not feel so alone in our struggles. So how do we wait on the Lord then? Firstly, we need to sit underneath his grace. I started the way I did on purpose because even the most godly, faithful men and women, both biblically and historically, have struggled to remember, have struggled to wait upon the Lord, have needed God to renew their strength, have chosen things that weren't God to trust in, and God's grace is sufficient for both them and for us. So know God's grace this morning. Additionally, you put yourself in front of and under the Word of God. You put yourself in biblical community where you can be known and be honestly walking with others about where you're at in the process. And I don't know your story, maybe you put yourself in counseling or in rehab you get involved in the church. Let me say, I can't emphasize this enough. It's not passive waiting. It's not saying, God, help me with this. and I'm going to sit around and do nothing and wait. It's active waiting. If you're thinking, no, I need to clean myself up first. I need God to renew my strength first. And then I'll get out there into the game. Honestly, if you're waiting for God to clean you up first, you're going to be waiting around forever and you're going to waste your life. Read the scriptures like God brings healing and renews strength, not while people are on the sidelines twiddling their thumbs, but when they're living in obedience to him. And that means being the church, that means being community, praying together, serving together, giving, being on mission, making Jesus known, being in community, and in those moments, waiting on the Lord as he renews your strength. It's one step at a time. It's one day at a time. Asking God to restore the joy of your salvation. Being honest and confessing that you're not able and you need help and you wait. You guys can come on up, Josh, Natalie. So there's a there's a problem that we face, all right, and that's the problem of self-reliance, trusting in ourselves. There's a process we experience, and it's that we understand our weakness, that we die in order to live. We embrace our weaknesses in order to become strong. And finally in a phrase in a sentence there is a promise that we will enjoy. And it's the promise of Isaiah 40:31 that involves us waiting upon the Lord. Why? Because they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's stand together and let me pray for us. Father, we confess uh, our weakness to you. We confess that we've struggled at times even confessing our weakness. Often we've thought more highly of ourselves than we've ought to. Would you just remind us of our desperate need of you? And for my brothers and sisters in here and watching at home who have tried again and again and again to do this on their own might and own strength, I pray that you would just change their strength this morning to you. And Lord, we confess that it's hard to wait on you. So would you just increase our faith, increase our trust in you to know that you're working all things for our good? Would you just help us die to ourselves, deny ourselves, and be reminded of how much you love us and you displayed that for us in the greatest act of love in the history of the earth when you went and took our place on the cross died the death we should have lived and you raised from death so that the same power that you used to resurrect could now be alive and at work in us May that be our hope, not ourselves, not things we're uncertain about, but you alone. Renew our strength, Father. We need you, we love you, and I just pray right now, uh, if my brothers and sisters are just wrestling with things in their mind, if you've brought things up in their hearts that they're feeling convicted of, I pray that you would just help them do the painful yet beautiful work of self-examination of repentance, of turning to you, and trusting in you. We love you. We need you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.